on Thursday, February the 1st, 1979, a chartered Boeing 747 touched down in Tehran, carrying a man who had changed the course of Iranian history forever. The ground shook with his arrival, and a dynasty that stood for centuries was brought to its knees. This day was the culmination of the Iranian Revolution, a force that upended a monarchy and ushered in an Islamic Republic. But why were the Iranian people crying out for revolution? Who was this man that emerged from the shadows in Iran's most turbulent times? And how were the CIA and MI6 both quietly puppeteering control in the country? Hello, Groove Armada. This is a slightly sickly sound of history, and uh, my name is Will Redley, like David Guetta with a library card. And today, in part one of this double bill, we're uncovering the fascinating emergence of Iran as an Islamic republic, something which both the CIA and MI6 were dead set on preventing. So, to start with, I want to paint a little picture of what Iran was actually like in the 20th century, because from 1906, Iran semi-successfully adopted a form of constitutional monarchy to govern, which mirrored Britain's political system. This featured both a king, known in Persian as the Shah, and a prime minister. But this system would face decades of reckoning, beginning in 1941, where our story properly begins. And it was in this year that our chief protagonist, Mohammad Reza Shah, took the throne in Iran. Now, he lived his early years in a crucible of stark contradictions, in both the shadow of a towering, formidable father and under the watchful eye of a protective, mystical mother. His father, Reza Khan, a figure of relentless ambition and iron will, held the belief that affection was a weakness and so withheld love, instilling in his son a deep-seated insecurity and fear, cloaked under a facade of royal dignity. In stark contrast, his mother, Taj al-Maluk, with her fervent superstitions and unwavering emotional support, filled his world with visions of destiny and greatness. This dramatic clash of influences forged Mohammad Reza into a man of profound contradictions, a ruler who wore a mask of arrogance and power, to hide his inner turmoil and vulnerability. When the conflicted Mohammad Reza Shah came to power, he was initially seen as a beacon of liberal reform, working in tandem with the Iranian parliament to create modern and popular policies. But both the Shah and the course of Iran's future would all change on the 4th of February 1949, nearly eight years after he took the throne. On this day, the Shah was attending a ceremony commemorating the founding of Tehran University. Things seemed normal until suddenly a man named Fakir Array, standing about three metres away from the Shah, fired five shots at him in an attempted murder. Miraculously, only one shot grazed the Shah's cheek. The investigation into this attack wrongly concluded that Fakir Array was a member of the Today Party, a Marxist group, when in fact he was part of an extremist religious group. But already the damage at this moment was done. The communist Today Party faced heavy backlash and persecution, and the beginning of an era marked by political paranoia and a hardening stance from the Shah against perceived enemies had begun, reshaping his liberal image into that of an autocratic ruler. 
the Shah suddenly embodied the contradiction which had troubled his young life, and it wouldn't be long before his new approach to governing would be heavily tested. So now the story moves a few years on, because amidst the tightening grip of the Shah's autocracy in the late 40s and early 50s, a new figure emerged as a beacon of hope and democratic promise, everything that the Shah stood for in his early years of power. His name was Mohammed Mosaddegh, and his National Front Party had rapidly gained traction, becoming a powerful force in Iranian politics. Under intense popular pressure, the Shah was forced to appoint Mosaddegh as Prime Minister in 1951, a move that would set the stage for a significant showdown. Mosaddegh, championing national sovereignty, nationalised the Anglo-Iranian oil company in 1952, a decision that resonated with the Iranian public but incensed the British government. Because Britain, having invested heavily in Iran's oil industry, was furious at this move towards self-determination. The British government's response was multifaceted. They first sought legal redress through the International Court of Justice at The Hague, but were ultimately unsuccessful. And then, in a dramatic shift of tactics, they imposed a blockade on the Strait of Hormuz, effectively choking Iran's ability to export oil. This blockade severely impacted Iran's economy, creating an environment ripe for political upheaval. But it wasn't just Britain that was concerned about the developments in Iran. The United States, under the Eisenhower administration, was closely watching the situation unfold. The Cold War era was at its peak, and any move towards nationalisation and away from Western influence was seen as a potential step towards socialism and then, by extension, an alliance with the Soviet Union. This fear led the CIA, alongside Britain's MI6, to engage in covert operations aimed at undermining and overthrowing Mossadegh's government. Operation Ajax, as it came to be known, was a clandestine plan to depose Mossadegh and reinstate the Shah's absolute rule. This intervention marked a significant moment in Iran's history, sowing seeds of resentment and distrust towards foreign powers, particularly the United States and the United Kingdom. So although he didn't know it yet, the Shah's clock was ticking. As the 1970s dawned, Iran found itself at a crossroads. The Shah's regime, bolstered by the success of Operation Ajax, embarked on a series of ambitious modernization programs known as the White Revolution. These initiatives, which included land reform, women's suffrage and rapid industrialization, were designed to transform Iran into a modern, western-aligned nation. But the speed and nature of these reforms created unintended consequences. The land reforms in particular disrupted the traditional agrarian system, leading to significant displacement and urban overcrowding. This rapid modernization, through Western mimicking, coupled with the Shah's increasingly authoritarian rule, began to alienate large segments of the population. And it was in this climate of social and political discontent that the man on the plane 
emerged as a prominent figure of opposition. Ayatollah Khomeini, a cleric who spoke vehemently against the Shah's policies, quickly became a symbol of resistance. His outspoken criticism led to his exile, first to Iraq and then to France. Khomeini's messages from exile, filled with fervour and conviction, struck a chord with a population disillusioned with the Shah's autocratic ways. The use of SAVAK, a secret police force set up by the CIA to quash opposition, only added fuel to the fire, turning whispers of rebellion into loud calls for change. By 1978, the situation in Iran had reached a boiling point. Protests and strikes swept across the country, coalescing in a movement that demanded profound change. The Shah, in typically hot and cold fashion, took inconsistent action, ranging from attempts at reform to brutal crackdowns, which failed to quell the growing unrest. The crescendo of the fervour erupted with the Muharram protests of 1978, a series of cataclysmic demonstrations during the holy month. These protests became a defining moment of resistance, with millions pouring into the streets, unequivocally shaking the pillars of the Shah dynasty during one of the most sacred times in the Islamic calendar. In January 1979, the Shah, facing this insurmountable uprising, fled from Iran. And within three weeks, Khomeini, the man who had brought the Shah's dynasty to its knees, flew into Iran, looking to establish the Islamic Republic he had dreamed of for so many years. So what song to choose for this seismic event? Well, for this episode, a revolutionary song makes sense, and there's one that sticks out for how powerful it was during the revolution itself. Iran, Iran, by Reza Ruigari. And here's a little extract. That was Iran Iran, written by Reza Ruigari, and it was one of the earliest revolutionary anthems during the Iranian Revolution that was broadcast from the covert revolutionary radio and television channel. The song repeats the phrase, there is no God except Allah, a direct response to the westernization which the revolution was opposed to. The song also repeats the line, blood, death and rebellion, and a hundred tulips will be born from the blood of your martyrs. This rebellion would take a heavy toll, but a willing one. The song shows the length that Iranians would take to move on to a new government, one which in their eyes was no longer the international pawn or which reformed like their Western counterparts. This revolution was to plunge millions of its civilians into the darkness through repression, political silencing or worse. But in the eyes of the revolution, it was moving forward in a more prosperous direction. And on that note, it is time to end. Thanks again for listening. This part one episode is going to make up a double bill, wherein next week 
we're going to look at the fallout and counter-protests of the revolution, which culminated in CIA hostage rescue attempts, the infamous International Women's Day of 1979 in Tehran, and the early days of the American partnership with a little-known figure named Saddam Hussein. But until then, have a great week. Make sure you tell your mate who's been given loads of history books they probably won't read for Christmas about the podcast. And finally, leave us a review wherever you're listening. I will read them and love them. Nothing more for me to say other than you the best and big love. Big love, big love, big love.